like to welcome everyone to our worship this morning at West Irwin Church of Christ. Have a good crowd gathered here in our auditorium, and if you are live streaming with us at home, we want you to know that we're also grateful as you participate uh, along with us in serving and worshiping God. If you would please stand for our first song, the song will be Redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child of
Well, as Davey uh, said, we welcome each of you here today. If you're visiting with us, especially uh, you're our honored guest. We're, we're glad you're here and invite you back at any opportunity you may have. Uh, those of you that are streaming us online, we're glad uh, you're in our, our audience there. So uh, we have a couple announcements uh, I want to make. Last week, uh, Wade announced that uh, the elders that is doing the shepherd's prayer each Sunday will be available uh, for individuals that may want to respond to the invitation or, or ask for prayers or have some special issues that they uh, would like to discuss with the elders. And we'll be meeting in room uh, 112, the first room past the uh, foyer on the right, uh, if you'd like to meet with one of us. And this, We're in a rotation on, on elders' prayer usually, and so you can usually figure out who's going to be next alphabetically and uh, if you want to speak to us or you can wait till another elder's up that you're more comfortable with or if you don't want to wait that long or it's a pressing issue just catch one of us between class and, and worship and we'll be glad to meet with you then uh, on the bulletin there's there's our names listed uh, with telephone numbers this has been made available for several years now but if uh, in an effort to be more available to you our, our sheep we invite you to uh, contact us in this way if you need to also uh, next Sunday we will be installing five men as, as additional deacons to add to our current deacon staff uh, we'll be uh, installing them during the worship service next Sunday and they are Kobe Chandler, Kevin Keel, Eric Mosley John Shaw and Garrett Smith. Uh, we have uh, looked at them and uh, feel all these men are qualified and they're willing to serve. We've uh, interviewed them and their wives, and uh, we look forward to having these men in, as deacons for West Irwin. They, uh, they already have places, the ministries that they're going to be involved with, and I think that will probably be announced next week during this installation process. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, over time, you have uh, several men who who will be deacons for a while and, and for one reason or another will not or they've passed on or something of this nature. And the, this gets us back up to the numbers that we need to have for the ministries that we have at West Irwin. I was told this morning that the Bible attendance was up a little over 30 people this week, which is great. Uh, Worship attendance looks like it's up as well over last week considerably. So we're glad we're getting back into the swing of things and getting back into our normal worship schedules. Uh, we look forward to the day when it's completely normal. But until then, we'll, we'll do the best we can and uh, appreciate your help and your consideration and your encouragement uh, in the meantime. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning... Uh, admitting that we do need thee. We need thee every hour, and we need you every day. Uh, you are our constant in this world of uncertainty. Uh, you are the stability for, for the Christian's life, and we're so thankful that we have that, uh, that constant in our lives that we can always realize it, always uh, know that you are our, our provider you are the creator of all things. You've given us everything that we need to sustain life, but uh, also you've given us everything we need to obtain eternal life. Father, we look forward to the day that we can 
be with you and, and your son and father we uh, realize that things are not as they should be here and and have certainly become different over the last few months and we we look forward to the day that uh, we can be in heaven with you and we're so thankful that you've uh, given us that opportunity to provide that way for us father uh, I'd like to pray this morning for for their nation we pray that you'll be with the leaders you'll be with uh, the nation in the upcoming election that men and women will be placed in in leadership roles that that know you that rely upon you and that admit that you are the only true and living God and that once again we look forward to the hope that we'll be one nation under you father this morning we pray for the church we pray for West Irwin the West Irwin congregation and uh, for each member of this congregation we're so thankful the, for each one that we have here for their willingness to to serve you and to be a part of the ministries that go on constantly here at West Irwin we're thankful for those that serve as teachers and those that serve as deacons and elders and for our ministry staff father uh, we would like to pray for each member in, in specific ways that that they may be going through certain things or certain problems or issues in their life they may be having health issues we pray for them we pray for healing we pray for uh, uh, less pain in their lives we pray for uh, those that are mourning over the deaths of loved ones father we realize uh, this past week that uh, Danny Skipper lost his sister-in-law and we, we pray for that family. We also pray for those that are having emotional problems. Father, the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic has, has created a, a lot of uh, people who have become withdrawn and, and uh, closed in just to themselves in many cases. And Father, a lot of times this is causing emotional problems for them. Uh, we pray that you'll be with them and, and help them to overcome those things. Father, uh, some of our members are suffering from financial problems. Some have lost jobs or incomes. We pray that you will be with them, that uh, we may be able to help those that are in those situations. Father, there are some that are battling family problems. We realize that... Uh, Families are, are not always what they should be for various reasons and usually from outside influences, but we realize that these people are having uh, marital conflicts. Uh, some of the families are, are having problems being parents or being husbands or wives or their children are having problems with the family. We pray for those that are in this situation that, uh, that these issues too may be resolved. Heavenly Father, uh, again, we pray that we will always turn to you for, for guidance, for wisdom, and for uh, direction in our lives. This morning, uh, as we continue our worship before you, we pray that it is acceptable to you that we will come to you with open hearts, that we will uh, sing and rejoice in, in the fact that you are our God and that your Son is our Savior. It's through his name that we pray.
Good morning, church, and good morning to all those that are viewing us online. We're glad that you are with us also. In the churches of Christ, we spend a portion of our worship each first day of the week observing what is commonly called the Lord's Supper. For the members of the church, this is an act of worship that we are intimately familiar with. However, there may be viewers that are online or visitors in our assembly this morning that do not understand fully the significance of what we are about to do. I want to make this very simple. Jesus instituted this memorial service on the night he was betrayed. After he and the apostles finished uh, the Passover feast, he gave them unleavened bread and he gave them fruit of the vine. He prayed over both items, describing the significance of each. The bread, a representation of his body, the cup, the representation of his blood. They all partook of these items. And then Jesus gave further instructions where he said, in the future, when you do this, do so in remembrance of me. That was a small request considering what he was about to do. He was about to be crucified for the sins of those very disciples and he was crucified on our behalf also for our sins. As we reflect on Jesus at this time in our worship, we unapologetically proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God and that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. You know, Christians have been partaking of this Lord's Supper since 33 A.D. And here we are at West Irwin, September the 20th, 2020, observing the same memorial service that they did right after the establishment of the church. I hope you're ready to partake of this memorial service this morning. I would ask you to take the bread, if you'll undo it, hold it in your hand, and pray with me. Lord, as you ask us to do, we now partake of this memorial service remembering you. This bread is a representation of your body that was given on our behalf. We don't have the words to adequately thank you for the sacrifice that you gave to this entire world, but we thank you. And now we partake of this bread and we remember you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Now, if you'll take the cup
pray with me? Lord, now, as your people did in the first century, we partake of this fruit of the vine, which you said represents your blood, the blood that has the forgiveness of sins, the application of that blood, and we thank you for that. And we now partake of this fruit of the vine, remembering you, remembering your sacrifice, remembering the blood that was shed for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a wonderful thing to participate in the memorial service. When we think about the history, how long ago it was established, and it's just wonderful that we can share in all that together. And now, as we consider our offering, regardless of the, the methods which you choose to give, uh, let's remember this. Our offering is an act of worship just as singing, preaching, praying, uh, even the Lord's Supper that we just completed. Our offering is an act of worship, and we just pray that these funds will be used to further the borders of this kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we live in this United States of America. With all the problems, we still understand that it is a wonderful nation. And if we would just look to you for guidance, things would get much better. And we pray that as Christians, we will live our lives and share the gospel with others. And Father, in order to do that, it requires funds. And we pray that the money that is deposited into the treasury will reach out and touch people's lives and show that we care. Thank you again for all that you do for us. Thank you for the blessings, the monetary blessings, the physical blessings, everything that we have. Most importantly, the spiritual blessings in Jesus. And now, Father, we just thank you again for all that you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
As we have shared today in our Lord's Supper time, in our Shepherd's Prayer time, as Davey mentioned during our song service, the message today is the response of faith to the gospel of Christ. We certainly welcome everyone again, and we certainly welcome all of those who are watching online, and we appreciate your being a part of this discussion today. I can uh, tell you that uh, those that are here today and have a hard copy of our bulletin have a sermon outline with lots of scriptures on them, and you can also get that online on our website uh, at westerwin.com. And if you have trouble with that, then send me a note, and I'll be glad to, to send you one as well. I say that, of course, we do that every single week, but I say that especially today because I think that the message today and the discussion about the response of faith to the gospel of Christ is uh, an outline that you may want to save. It's one of those that you may want to keep handy. It's one of those that you may want to have in a drawer or uh, somewhere that's available to you <clears throat> very easily because this is a question that is going to come up. And it's a question that, <clears throat> excuse me, that may come up with your children, with your grandchildren, or with your neighbors or coworkers or other family members. <clears throat> So I believe there is an answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? This is a, a sermon in a series entitled, What I Believe and Why. Last Sunday we shared uh, from the perspective, this is still my father's world. In spite of all of the difficulties, as Stan said, we still live in a wonderful and very blessed country. And also, we realize that with all of the things that go up and down in our world, it is still our Father's world. And we believe that very strongly. And in that sense, what I believe and why, I wanted us to share today about what I believe and why regarding the response of faith. Because I believe that is the most important question that we can ask each other. Just as we celebrated around the Lord's Supper remembering that great event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because that is true, there is an answer to this question, what must I do to be saved? And as our shepherd Jay Bynum shared during our shepherd's prayer time, we look to God and to his word for direction and for guidance about how we should live our lives and about how we should answer spiritual questions really about how we should answer many other questions as well that have to do with our daily lives and certainly those that have to do with our eternal life. And so I believe that if we're going to ask that question, what must I do to be saved, that the answer can be found in Scripture. If we're not looking to Scripture to answer that question, then we're free to decide for ourselves whatever we might think, whatever the current culture might think, whatever is popular at the time, whatever I want to do or someone else might want to do. But if there is an inspired and authoritative word, then it is that word that we look to to answer that question. And interestingly enough, that question, what must I do to be saved, is actually asked and answered in the scriptures itself. I've listed a few of those times when it was asked. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the church first began, 
and those individuals who were listening to the first gospel sermon announcing the death, burial, and resurrection and lordship of Jesus Christ. It says they were cut to the heart and they asked the question, what must I do to be saved? In Acts chapter 16, we read about it again with a man who was a jailer who was commissioned to guard two apostles or two missionaries, Paul and Silas. And as he was doing that, there was an earthquake and everyone was free to go and yet they never left. And when this jailer, this uh, Roman citizen saw what was going on, he threw himself at the feet of Paul and Silas and he asked them this question, what must I do to be saved? Paul himself, when he was Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 and then recounting the story in Acts chapter 22, asked that question himself. He had been persecuting the church, and then he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And when asked, why are you persecuting me? He responded, who are you, Lord? He thought he was doing right, and he wasn't. And the answer came back, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And Saul himself asked the question in Acts 22, what should I do? What must I do? And he was told to go into the city and he would get his answer. And so I think it's right for us to look to scripture to answer that most important of all questions. What must I do to be saved? What is the direction? What is the guidance? What is the word of God on that question? Because what you think, what I think, what your friends might think, what your family might think, all of that is well and good. But we must turn to the pages of the inspired scripture and ask ourselves, is that what is taught there? And have I done that? Because I want to be saved. And I want those I love to be saved. And so I want to be able to be ready to answer their question when they ask that. What, what must I do to be saved? And I think one of two things is true. Either it doesn't matter, and you can do whatever you want, whatever feels right, whatever you think is good, or it does matter. And God has told us what the answer to that question is. And so it's up to us to turn to the scriptures and to to find that answer. And we do that in a way that is not arrogant. We do that in a way that is very humble. We do that in a way that does not belittle people, that does not take pride in what we decide is the right answer or what we have done in our lives. None of those things is true because if that's our attitude, then we don't get this whole dying on the cross for our sins thing that Jesus did. We don't get what we did when we partook of this Lord's Supper because it's a proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection and coming again of Jesus Christ. But it's also a call for us to live that same way. And so this morning we ask and answer the question, what must I do to be saved? And I believe there is an answer to that question, and I believe it's in the Word of God. But before we answer that question, we have to establish that there is an answer. And so I believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
this is where we start. We really start right before this when we say, we are sinners. When we come face to face with our sins, just like Saul of Tarsus did, just like that Philippian jailer did, just like those Jews on the day of Pentecost did, cut to the heart, convinced that I'm a sinner and that if left on my own and to myself, I cannot be saved because of my sin. And so because of that, God sent his son. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. That Jesus came and that he lived and that he died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried and that he was raised from the dead. And that there are people that saw him and attest to that. We've sung about that today in all these wonderful songs that Davy has led us in. We celebrated it around the Lord's Supper around the table as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And lots of scriptures on your outline that demonstrate and remind us of what the gospel is. Starting in Isaiah 53, that, that great look centuries before it happened. In the 700s before the common era, in the 700s BC, Isaiah saw what Jesus would do. And announced that he would die for our sins, that he would receive the punishment that was meant for us. And that we would be saved because of that. By his stripes and punishment, we ourselves are healed. And then that story is seen in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus himself said in Luke 19 that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, that great scripture in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that's the gospel Paul announces the gospel in Romans chapter 1 as he says I'm not ashamed of it I'll, I'll, I want to go to the capital of the empire to Rome itself and preach this gospel because it is in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed I can't get there on my own But there is another choice. While we were still sinners, he writes to the Romans in chapter 5, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that great verse in verse 21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2 affirms. And so John would write in 1 John chapter 1, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. That's the gospel. That Jesus came, and that he lived, and that he died, and that he was raised from the dead. And that through his death, through his blood, we can be saved. And without this part, there is no answer to that question. What must I do to be saved? Were it not for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we would have to shake our heads sadly and tell them, I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. Because without the blood of Christ, without the sacrifice of Christ, there is no response of faith. There is one option, and that is to live a perfect sinless life. And since none of us has done that, then we are without hope. But because of the gospel, because Jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead, 
There is hope. There is a promise. There is an answer to that question, what must I do to be saved? And so we ask ourselves, okay, what's the answer then? And again, I believe that one of two things is true. Either it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want or you can do nothing. And it's okay because God's going to be okay with it, whatever you decide. Or we can say, just as surely as God sent his son, he also gave us what we should do to respond to that sacrifice. And if we believe in the inspired and authoritative word of God, that it's in the scriptures what we do, just like it's in the scriptures what we just did as we partook of the Lord's Supper, as Stan shared in that wonderful message, then we look to the word of God for the answer to our question, what must I do to be saved? I'm so thankful that Jesus came and lived and died for me. And so now, what what happens now? And so either... Nothing happens now, and we're all saved because Jesus died and God raised him. And it doesn't matter whether we respond in faith or not. It doesn't matter whether we believe in him or not. It doesn't matter what we do. We can do whatever we want, or we can do nothing, and we're saved. That's one option, and I don't think that's the true option. It certainly contradicts everything in the scriptures. And so if we reject that, then we ask ourselves, okay, then what does God want? What, according to the scriptures, must I do to be saved? What is God's will on this? And so we'll share what that looks like, according to scripture. And you see on your outline lots of scripture passages there that we'll just mention some. And you can take this home and you can read those passages and you can look that up and you can see if this is so. And I encourage you to do that. Just like I believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe in the response of faith. I believe there is a response of faith. I love the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins, but I also believe that that makes it possible for us to respond. But that without that response, his death does not apply to me. His blood does not wash my sins away. And so I want to know what is that response of faith? What is the answer to my question, what must I do to be saved? And I believe that Scripture very consistently shares that answer throughout the pages of the New Testament Scriptures. And it starts with believing. It starts with believe. Mark says in Mark 16 that you have to believe. The one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The one who does not believe will be condemned. That passage in John 3.16 continues. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him, would not perish or die, but would live for eternity. Jesus himself said in John 8, verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe that I am, that sacred term for God, the great I am, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, and he says that with the heart we believe. 
We believe in Jesus Christ from our hearts. We believe in this gospel that he died for us. But there are lots of folks who believe. Is that all there is that we have to do? Is that the whole answer in scripture? And if those passages that I just read, or at least most of them, were the only passages in scripture, then maybe that would be the right answer. But they're not. They're not. Scripture even affirms even the demons believe. (laughs) They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists and that Jesus is the Son of God. But they certainly are not saved. What must I do to be saved? What is the response of faith? It is first of all to believe, but secondly it is to repent. What does that word mean? Well, that word means to change. Repent means to change, and specifically to change the direction of your life. And I'm certainly not saying that it means that you're never to sin again. I think that's the goal, but we all know that we don't reach that goal. And so this church family and every other one like it is filled with people who are sinners. Who sinned before we were baptized into Christ and responded in faith, but who also have sinned since then. We believe in the sacrifice of Christ, and so we repent, we change, we decide, I've been living for myself, and now I'm going to live for Jesus. I'll do it imperfectly, but I'll do it from my heart, by faith, out of gratitude for what he has done for me. Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will perish, in Luke chapter 13. He said before he left this earth in Luke 24 that the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem until they were received that power from on high and then repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. That spirit was given. The people were convicted. They asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer came back to repent in Acts 2, the first part of verse 38. The reason Jesus hasn't returned, and we ask ourselves that question sometimes when we see the goings-on in the world. We wonder, what's he waiting for? But the truth is, in the last 2,000 years, there have been times that have been much far worse than these times are. And the same reason why Jesus didn't come then is the reason why he hasn't come yet. 2 Peter 3 says it's because of the love and mercy of God, because he doesn't want anyone to perish, and so every single day is another opportunity for the sinner to repent. It's another opportunity for someone to hear the answer to that question, what must I do to be saved, and respond by believing in Jesus Christ, by changing their life, repenting of their sins. And then third, they must confess. They must confess. We read that story of the Ethiopian on the way back home after worshiping in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8. And Philip is told to join him. And Philip had never known him. He had never heard of him. All he knew is that he was reading Isaiah 53. And so he goes and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, I don't. Actually, I need someone to help me understand it. And so Philip starts right there and preaches to him about Jesus. And they come to the water, some water, and the, it's the Ethiopian, that official who says, look, here's some water. Why can't I respond in faith right now and be baptized? Philip tells him, well, if, if you believe, 
You sure can. I'd like nothing better. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He confessed his faith so that Philip would know that's what he believed. In Romans chapter 10, it says not just that we believe from our heart, but also we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because as Peter would later say, this this baptism that this all leads to is not just a matter of getting wet. It's not just taking a bath. It's not jumping off the high diving board into the deep end of the pool. It's something that has spiritual significance. And for it to have spiritual significance, there must be something going on in your heart. And for others to know, you must tell them. And so there is a confession that is made. I believe in this gospel. I believe that Jesus lived and that he died. I believe that his blood was shed for me and for my sins. I believe that he is the son of God and the savior of the world, but not just the savior of the world, that he is my savior. And so we confess that faith. We believe in Jesus Christ and in the gospel that he died for us and was raised from the dead. We repent. We change our lives. We get on a different path. We put a direction towards Jesus. We confess that faith and that desire, and then we are baptized. The call of God, the answer in Scripture, if we're going to go by what Scripture says, then we are told to believe in Jesus. We are told to repent of our sins. We are told to confess that faith that is now inside of us, and we are told to be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. And lots of scriptures on your outline there for that. Beginning with Jesus himself, he was baptized not to forgive sin. He had no sin, but he did it to fulfill all righteousness. He did it knowing full well that he was about to embark on this ministry. He did it knowing full well that he would require his followers to do the same. And just another act of love and grace and humility on the part of our Savior. Before he ascended, just like we read in Mark chapter 16, Matthew's version in chapter 28 is, Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the very end. Those men and women on the day of Pentecost, just weeks after Jesus had been crucified, asked what must we do. They were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 of them were baptized and added to their number that day. The Ethiopian treasurer was baptized in Acts chapter 8. Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. In chapter 10, Cornelius, the first non-Jew, the first Gentile convert, Cornelius and his family were all baptized into Jesus Christ. After Peter had told him, believe in the Lord Jesus, he told him about Jesus and he told him about the gospel and he baptized that whole family that day. Lydia and her family were baptized in Acts chapter 16. Later, that Philippian jailer was told to be baptized, and he and his whole family were as well. In Acts chapter 19, Paul encountered some ones who were on his way uh, to Ephesus, and, and, and they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul asked them was, well, then tell me about your baptism. 
And he commanded that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The answer to Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul the Apostle, was, What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. Even though he had believed strongly in the person of Jesus, he had seen him face to face on the road to Damascus. Even though he had repented of his sins, he had been praying and fasting for three days. Still, Ananias, this Christian man, comes to him just as Jesus said he would. And he says, what are you waiting for, Saul? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Paul says, we die to sin and are buried with Christ through baptism into death and are raised to live a new life in Romans 6. Peter says it's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is Lord, that that baptism is something more than just getting wet. It is something that has spiritual and eternal significance. Baptism now saves you, he says in 1 Peter 3. Only because of the gospel. But when we respond in faith to that gospel of Jesus Christ, We receive that answer to our question. What must I do to be saved? Have I done it? And the answer is yes. Yes. I believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe in the response of faith to believe in that sacrifice of Christ, to repent of my sins and change my life and direction, to confess that faith to others so that they'll know that I'm sincere and to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe that's what scripture says. And I believe we have two options, as I said. We either do whatever we want... Or we do what scripture says God's will is. And again, we approach that with humility. We are not arrogant. We are not proud. It is still strictly something that is undeserved, the salvation that we receive. But we respond in faith based on our understanding of what the scriptures say we are to do. And I think that's all that we can go by. And as we talk to others and we speak that truth, as Ephesians 4 says, but we do it in love. We do it in humility. We do it with great respect for those who will disagree with us. And so we have that discussion and we take them back to Scripture and we ourselves go back to Scripture and let them challenge us to make sure that what we are saying is true according to the word of God. I believe in the gospel. I believe in the response of faith. And I believe that because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. Were it not for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, there would be no response of faith. We could be baptized every single day of our lives and it would not matter. Because what saves us is the blood of Christ. But either it saves everybody no matter what, or there is a response of faith. And if there is a response of faith, then we just do whatever we want to do. Or we turn to God's word and we say, what is it that God says he wants us to do? I believe that because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. So this morning, if you have not done that, we beg you to do that. If you need some more information about that, feel free to contact us. We would love to talk more with you.
bring Christ your broken life, so marred by sin. He will create anew. He will make it whole again. If we can help that happen in your life, come as we stand and sing our song together. Bring Christ your broken life, so marred by Father, we pray that your will be done.